Welcome to the Global Band Group, a podcast that brings you stories, news, and great guests from across the world of wind, brass, marching band, and drum corps. My name is Keith Kelly, and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with band musicians and directors from across the world to talk about their stories, their bands, and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at bandsofireland.com forward slash the global band room. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the global band room. And now on with the show. Happy New Year and welcome back to the Global Band Room. This is the first episode for 2021, a year that I know we're all hoping to get back to our own band rooms to see our friends and our and start making music again with our with our with our bands. Um, and we're going to be talking to a lot of our guests about just that over the coming weeks and months. How do we get back to some sort of normality? And I hate this term, the new normal. No, I, I want to get back to, to to normal. I don't want a new normal. I want to get back to my band room. I want to start making music the way that I have in the past. Um, granted, I'm going to have some new skills to bring to that band room, but I, I, I don't want a new normal. I want to get back to normal. Um, we have signs that that might be happening. We still have a lot of challenges. There's a lot of hurdles to get over. The world is hurting uh, in many, many different ways and in many, many different places. Uh, but there are signs that 2021 is going to see us back in our band rooms. And hopefully by the time that we are back uh, in our, in December of, of this year, we'll be performing Christmas concerts and Sleigh Ride and Christmas Festival and, and all that lovely music. Speaking of Christmas concerts, you may have or may not have heard our imaginary Christmas concert podcast. Uh, it's the first of a new monthly series called the Repertoire Happy Hour podcast, where I and a, a panel of musicians from across the world plan an imaginary concert around a the theme. And we had our first one in December. We had Gail Brechting uh, and uh, Andrew Jordan, and we had um, Mark Nichols. And we chatted about Christmas music, our favourite grade one, two, three, four, five, six pieces. And we had a drink and just a very nice time. And so that's going to be a new monthly podcast at the end of every month. Uh, we do it live on Facebook and on YouTube. And you'll be able to join us and, and give us some of your thoughts. At the end of January, we are going to be basing our concert around the theme of hope. I think that's a good way to start off 2021. And uh, you can tune in and the podcast can be found in this very feed. It's not going to be in its own feed. It's going to be in the Global Bandroom feed as a bonus episode once a month. Uh, and, and hopefully you'll enjoy that. And, and feel free to take part. Like Email me afterwards, Keith at Global Bandroom. Let me know what parts did I miss? What parts should I have included in our imaginary concert? Let me know what you think about this month's podcast uh, and this month's pro- program for the theme of hope. If you have band parts that you think I should be including into this imaginary concert, do let me know. Uh, so that's the re- the repertoire happy hour. Um, a little bit of news for my Irish colleagues. Um, with St. Patrick's Day not going ahead this year, well, St. Patrick's Day is, but the, the festival isn't. The St. Patrick's Festival is going to be reaching out to musicians across Ireland to record themselves uh, playing a number of pieces of music in their band uniforms to put together a virtual video similar to Ireland's Call last year but based on a provincial basis. So 
all I can say for now is watch this space. If you are if you aren't already doing so, go over and like the St. Patrick's Festival Facebook page and you'll be able to find more out over the next week on how you can take part in that. Now, for my international friends, St. Patrick's Festival are also going to be reaching out to bands across the world that would like to record themselves in a band setting performing a piece of music. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you're in the UK and you're similar to Ireland, that might mean a digital performance, submitting a digital performance of yourselves playing a piece of music for St. Patrick's Festival. If you're in, let's say, New Zealand, where they are back at no, back to normal, uh, then maybe you're able to do something in a um, regular band setting and perform something for the St. Patrick's Festival. All of these submissions, the domestic, the Irish performances that will be, be recorded, the international performances will be featured on St. Patrick's Festival TV, as well as national TV and uh, featured on social media throughout the entirety of the festival as well. So watch this space, head over to Facebook, like the St. Patrick's Festival, and you'll be able to find out more. Now, let's kick off with our first interview for 2021. John Denovi is a close friend and is the man that is responsible for introducing me to the activity of drum corps. And if you've been following these podcasts over the last year, you'll know that I am somewhat of a drum corps fan, having come to it very late, and you may have heard the Finding Drum Corps podcast this year. John was one of the first people that I reached out to when the pandemic kicked off to see if we could get him onto an interview, and of course Drum Corps International were going through a major crisis like the rest of the band world and the rest of the world was at that time. And so for many reasons, myself and John haven't had a chance to actually record a podcast, so I was delighted to be able to kick off 2021 with John. If you know who John is... Um, then you know what a fantastic uh, representative he is for drum corps, but also just the marching arts generally. Uh, and if you don't know who John is, this is a great podcast to get to know him. Uh, and, and do reach out, find him on SoundSport. You'll hear all about that throughout the podcast. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy this interview. So welcome to the Global Band Room, John, um, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Keith. How are you doing? I am keeping well. I'm delighted to have you on the podcast at last, John. Uh, I know we've been trying to make this work for, for a little while and we just haven't been able to make it happen. But um, for anyone that doesn't know John, John is the business development director for Drum Corps International and one of my closest friends and as someone that I consider a friend and a mentor. And so I'm really delighted to be able to have a proper chat today about all things John Denovi. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Nah, it's it's great. John, um a lot of people know you from your business background in this world and your 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 work with the industry and promoting uh the growth of drum corps both in the US and internationally as well. But um you're a you're a band guy as well. Uh tell me a little bit about where you started in this this crazy sort of marching world. Wow. Uh, I guess like anybody uh, that got into music and, and marching music, I started in elementary school when uh, the, the local band director came through the classrooms with a cart full of musical instruments. And uh, I, I, don't, I honestly don't remember why I was interested at the time. Uh, I do remember I was into baseball and sports and, and, and uh, other activities, but this something about being, playing music seemed interesting to me. But I wasn't sure how much I really wanted to commit to it. Uh, so when I looked at all the instruments, and this was my mentality when I was, I don't know, maybe 11 years old, 
the saxophone had lots of buttons. I called them buttons at the time. And <laughs> clarinet had lots of buttons, and so did the flute. All these instruments look very complicated. Like I, it would be com- it would be hard to learn. Well, the trumpet only had three buttons, so I said that must be real easy. I'll I'll pick the trumpet. So uh, I joined the band. My mom rented a, a trumpet from a local music shop, and I I got it on a weekend. Got home that day and opened up the case and popped the mouthpiece in and and and, and tried to play my first note. And um, my dreams of playing instantly the you know, like Dizzy Gillespie were shattered because uh, <laughs> so that three buttons weren't helping me one bit. I couldn't even blow a note. So um, I, I went through the proper channels. I learned how to play. I, I went through middle school. I, I joined the band in high school, really went to a very well-known competitive school in Northern Kentucky, Beachwood High School, and uh, had started to uh, get exposed to DCI, Drum Corps International, and like a lot of kids that were, you know, have gotten into the activity. We sat around the band room watching at the time we watched old VHS cassettes and uh, listened to records and traded cassette tapes and just consumed as much drum core as we could. We, you know, me and a group of friends were just absolutely nuts about it. Uh, so at, at, a, at a point later on, I think it was my junior year, I got a chance to, to join the Toledo Glassman. Uh, so a group of us uh, went from Northern Kentucky and drove four hours North to Toledo and we were members of the, the 1986 Glassman. And then um, shortly thereafter, I made a, a switch to the West Coast of the U.S. to a core called the Velvet Knights, which at the time were you know really in their heyday. And I was part of the 1987, 88, 89, and 90 cores. And then um, uh, aged out in 90 and then got some, some various teaching jobs and uh, was in some administration for some core. Um, finished up my college degree, which was in marketing, business administration, and went into uh, the workforce. I was, you know, just like anybody else, I was employed in the real world, but continued on with my interest in uh, drum corps and marching music. And and uh, at a point, I got an opportunity through my job to uh, assist DCI with some public relations um, consultation and some volunteer work around the, the 1996, 7 and 8 championships in Orlando. And then right after that, I got an opportunity to work on Tom Blair's uh, PBS TV production crew. That later turned into ESPN. And through all the while, I was working in the real world. I had uh, time I spent at Disney Consumer Electronics. I was at Sony Pictures. Um, was it Tecmo? If anyone ever remembers Tecmo video games and Tecmo Bowl, I used to work. I was a director of sales at Tecmo. So I, I was always on the business end of, uh, of the entertainment industry. So when the opportunity came around to be part of DCI and I had, the position was created to be the director of business development, um, uh, the time was right in my life to jump at that chance. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast listened to the Finding Drum Corps podcast. And so they will have had seven and an upcoming eight episodes of uh, Finding Drum Corps to find out about what that activity is if they didn't know beforehand. But for anyone that isn't aware of what drum corps is as opposed to band and marching band and concert band for any of my particularly a lot of my european uh listeners um tell me in a nutshell what a drum corps is yeah i think that the most distinctive factor is that it's um uh it focuses on brass percussion and visual aspects so you wouldn't see in a, a dci competitive event you wouldn't see um, woodwind instruments. Uh, so it's, 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 it's very uh, elite level 
uh, competitive marching organizations um, with a focus on brass instruments. So I want to go back then a little bit to your days with the Velvet Knights, because I went during my um, research for the Finding Drum Corps podcast, like I was always I was aware of the name of the Velvet Knights, but hadn't really looked at any of their shows. And then I seen their shows and I could see why they were kind of a special drum corps. There's there's a certain element of. I mean, entertainment uh, over, um, uh, you know, they, 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 there was an, a f- seems to be a focus on really selling to the crowd um, with, with Velvet Knights uh, that maybe isn't as uh, as prominent with maybe some of the other drum corps. Right. Um, and, and, and it strikes me, John, that your career since then as well has actually been um, sort of in that same light, you know. I remember you uh, telling the kids in Artane and in in Adlone and the Ravens um, that you know you were selling it. You're, you 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 were performers. The, the, these these people that were playing to are after buying a ticket for our performance, and we need to make sure that we give value for that performance. Did your time with the Velvet Knights inspire that sort of thinking, and therefore how you kind of approached your career in entertainment? Yeah, hundred um, percent. The Velvet Knights were a very formal drum corps. They they were they looked like everyone else with military style uniforms and um, uh, you know very straightforward shows that were at the time you know consistent with all the other groups around them competitively, and they were kind of playing the game. And then they ran into some some challenges as an organization, and they needed to kind of rebuild and, and refocus. And and during that time, this was around 1981, 82, um, they said, let's do something radically different, and let's reemerge, and let's come out with a whole different kind of a, a approach to this activity. And um, and when they did, it was it was groundbreaking. I mean, it it was uh, there was another corps at the time uh, called the Bridgemen. They were from Bayonne, New Jersey. That was really maybe one of the if not the first, the one of the first really truly entertainment focused cores. And the Velvet Knights picked up a lot of the influence from the Bridgemen and um, not only picked up their influence, but we they had staff members and designers and, and people who came from the East Coast to the West Coast to um, build up the Velvet Knights and utilize, you know, some of the things that made the Bridgemen successful. One of the things that made the Bridgemen so successful was they were just at the root of what they did. They were a very good music ensemble. They, they played mm-hmm. and marched and drummed, you know, at, at an extremely high level. Um, so the Velvet Knights, you know, a lot of times uh, were, we, if there was any criticism, was it, oh, they're not taking this seriously. They're just out there a bunch of jokers. But what they did was they they had to do twice as much as a lot of other drum corps. They, they had to play their instruments really well, but they also had to sell a show in a way that um, isn't easy. I mean, you've to, to really pull off and sell an entertainment style show, you've got to really commit to that style of performance. And that's what they did. So that's around 82, 83 was a big jump for them. 84 was the first year they made finals, which was a, a major for any group in Drum Corner National, making the world finalist list is, is a major step. And then it just rose from there. Uh, and then, so I was fortunate to be a part of the group, you know, kind of right when it hit its peak was uh, 1987, we placed seventh place, which was, you know, it's at any year, that's a phenomenal, um, accomplishment. Um, we were, you know, we were thrilled to be there, but we had such a great time. Um, I, I know that kids mm-hmm. drunk yeah. have a great time. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and it looks like that, John, you know, I mean, yeah. when you watch, I've, I've watched, I think 
probably all the the years that you were you were in it. I think I've watched most of those years actually recently, and um, it just looks like the the core is having just the absolute best time. Well, the I think what made that relationship between the performers and the audience so special was that we were our own fans as much as anything. We we, we <laughs> laughed at ourselves because we would do something and we'd say, that's so cool. Oh, that was people. The, the audience is going to love this. So if we loved it, we knew that we could sell it to the audience. And then it became a game every night on tour to see if we could get a bigger laugh or a longer standing ovation or a, a stronger reaction to a gag that we might've put into the show. <laughs> right. uh, and we were constantly, you know, tinkering, you know, if, if something struck our funny bone, we would add it into the show. And if it if it fell like a lead balloon, we'd take it out. Uh, or if it if it played well, we'd kind of refine it and, you know, see how far we could take it. And that's and, and a lot of the, the gags and comedy that we, we put into the show were came from a, like a, a moment in rehearsal by by accident or just a discussion that might have been happening on the staff bus. Of, Wouldn't it be cool if we did this? And they try it the next day and then, uh, you know, we would react to it and just, you know, think, oh, this is great. Let's do it. So it was a real fun way. It was a collaborative effort. We all bought into it. We were all a part of the process. Uh, so you sort of had, you know, at the time DCI cores were 128 members. You had 128 member buy-in, you know, we were completely on board with what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the core was outrageous. We loved, you know, we were from Southern California. We had this image of being you know, Huntington Beach surfers, and most of us weren't. I mean, we were probably a bunch of nerdy band kids. But <laughs> they told us our our persona is Southern California, you know, surf. Kids. Right. So that's the role we played, and um, and and again, we we had a job every night. You know, we were musical actors, and we had to go out and sell it. So you know, to kind of long story short, to answer your question about how it affected my career, yeah, absolutely. I it. I, I realize that there's a cause and effect in life, whether it's, you know, you're pulling off a comedy routine in front of 20,000 people in a football stadium or getting a reaction out of a, a buyer across the table in a business setting. Um, you know, if you do a certain thing, you can get a, a desired reaction. And, and was that something, John, that the instructional staff in Velvet Nights, like implicitly or explicitly sort of uh, uh, taught you guys uh, was it was it something that was said out loud yeah for sure yeah they yeah. they were constantly evaluating what the audience was reacting to and they you know we would have uh, regular discussions about what was working and what wasn't and and what we could do to improve and and you know take something to a higher level so yeah absolutely the staff was incredibly influential some of the greatest people I've ever had the chance to uh, to work with and under and um, super fortunate that I've been, you know, been able to be part of that organization. Uh, a lot of people in the Velvet Knights have gone on to. A lot of my friends are went on to work in the entertainment industry. There's uh, uh, Jim Riley is uh, was in the 1989 tenor line. He's now um, uh, he's the drummer for Rascal Flatts when they go out touring. Uh, that's a country music um, band which is real famous. Um, uh, Carl Hunter, he's the saxophone player in the band Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Um, we've got guys that are uh, director of the San Diego Symphony, is the conductor, um, guys playing on Broadway. So yeah, it's been wow. been really, really cool to see people who, um, as kids, were kind of living a living a dream, playing drum corps all summer, and now they're living a dream, um, you know, as real, real working musicians and entertainers out there. 
That's fantastic. Uh, and and I, I do, I know I, I won't spend a huge amount of time talking about old drum corps with you, John, just for any of the li- listeners that are hoping to hear more about what you're currently at. But uh, I did want to talk to you a little bit about that, those, the, the Velvet Nights, because we didn't explore that too much on the Finding Drum Corps podcast. So I thought it'd be, be fun to, to kind of talk to you a little bit about that. And your mum was, was involved uh, a lot with the, the drum corps then as well, um, John, isn't that right? Yeah, she, she was, uh, you know, every every core has a support staff, um, people who sew and you know medical staff that make sure that everybody's healthy. And and she was on the the food preparation, the cook staff. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people join drum corps to to get away from their parents for a couple months. Um, I was, uh, you know, for better or worse, I I didn't exactly get that experience, uh, but I was fortunate that I got to spend that time with her and. Uh, as you know, she got to attend the the 2019 championships, and right. um, she hadn't been to finals in quite some time. So I was able to uh, give her a a nice VIP seat and treat her to a uh, you know thank you for all the years that she supported me. Uh, you know, she was the person that went and rented that instrument for the first time, and you know, listened to me play Hot Cross Buns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, in agonizing um, tone and intonation, <laughs> and, and stuck with me. So you know, I definitely feel fortunate. I had the opportunity for her to give her a chance to, um, to see DCI in a way that she hadn't seen it before. Well, I had the place of honor to sit beside her and talk to her about all the shows during the, uh, during the, the during the week. And, uh, it just goes to show you, I mean, uh, you know, band, band moms, band mammies, as we call them here, yeah. uh, they have an insight into what's happening, uh, on the field or on the concert hall or wherever it is, because she, she, uh, she had some, she had some thoughts on how, on what the drum corps yeah, are doing and probably, who was best. And she's probably a whole series of podcasts on her, on her own. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's a it's a great point that um when you look at any any band musical ensemble anywhere in the world um behind that is a support system of parents either financially or just uh organizing trips to rehearsals or any kind of support that they're providing um that the, the band world is far bigger than just the musicians you see on a stage or on a field yeah. it's it's a it's a worldwide network of um families and and that's what's great about uh, this activity is that it, it does allow for families to, you know, to, to be a part of it from, you know, cradle to grave. Over the years, I've had the pleasure to host many visiting international bands, choirs and orchestras here in Ireland, alongside my own bands and groups. Every one of these events is exciting, and my favourite part of each exchange is seeing the musicians kids and adults interact with each other sharing their stories and experiences. If it wasn't for the accent, I'm not sure I could identify my own band kids sometimes. So when I got into the music travel business, I wanted to make sure I was working with a company that understood that these exchanges were at the heart of the experience and not just something to be ticked off an itinerary. I've been so fortunate to find not one but two companies. Celtic Horizon Tours in Ireland and Kaleidoscope Adventures in Florida. They share these values and they respect the ensembles and students that they work with. So, whether you're trying to plan a domestic tour in the US with the highest of standards for ensuring your group is safe and healthy, or whether you're starting to plan for that international trip in 2022, you can contact me at keith at globalbandroom.com to start working with me and these world-class student travel teams 
And while you're doing that, you're supporting the podcast and documentaries. Thank you. Well, John, we then first met in 2014 and, uh, well, uh, beginning of 2015. And it was to to work with a group that was uh, potentially going to be going over to DCI finals. Right. And um, you introduced me to the concept of sound sport. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about, about sound sport, but I want to talk about what led to sound sport because you have been traveling the world um, promoting and advocating uh, for drum corps and assisting drum corps and bands around the world then as well to um, uh, to take part in this activity in whatever capacity they can do that and and and, and I know that led to, to to sound sport. Tell me about your the beginnings of your your international travels for for DCI. How how, how did that even begin? Well, I. I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but I, when when I first went to work right out of college, I I, I worked for a, an aver, a marketing and PR agency in California, and within I was only there a month or two, and they said you need to go get a passport. We need you to go to London for one of our clients to uh, take care of their efforts at a trade show. So I I did that. I got a whatever the speed uh, the, the the quick way to get a passport was back then, like emergency passport application. So I get my my passport and I go to the trip and we're on the trip and the client says, you know, next month we need to go to Amsterdam. Are you up for Amsterdam? And I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. So I that turned into Paris and uh, Brussels and then Hong Kong and Tokyo and I was traveling all around the world for this client. Uh, and I was you know right out of school, so I caught the travel bug very early. Um, and so the, to be able to combine uh, my love of travel and just global cultures and meeting new people with this this marching music thing um, was was something that came about around I want to say 2012 or so. Um, I had I'd gone over to Thailand for an event and I had seen this event had had groups from Indonesia and Philippines and Thailand and Malaysia. A lot of places I, I wasn't even familiar with at the time where they were on a map. Um, but what I learned was regardless of their their backgrounds, their economic backgrounds, their religious backgrounds, culture, um, that at, at the center of it all was their love of music. And so I got to witness that um, of all those people coming together like an Olympics of music. And I said, you know, that's this is powerful. Um at Drum Corps International, I think we've got some resources and power to do more to affect, you know, more success, more growth like this. So I came back to the States and we had some discussions of myself and Bob Jacobs, who's the director of marketing at DCI. Um, we started to put all of our, our, our fantasy ideas together in our heads. We had been talking for several years to that point about how the activity needed to figure out ways to get more people involved at a lower cost with lower barriers to entry um, and the ability to start up quicker. Um, at the time, you know, to start a DCI drum corps, you were looking at having to have a pretty good sizable amount of money in excess of, you know, three, three quarters of a million dollars to a million dollars. Yeah. Buses, wow. and trucks and resources and, and, and things that it just, it made getting involved um, almost impossible. So we said, how could we create a new game that allows people to get 
on the field faster and be successful quicker. So that's where SoundSport was born. So basically, we just we took uh, the field or the stage and we shrunk it down, and we made the 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 emphasis more on entertainment and less on the technical aspects of playing. Um, How velvet nights of you. Yeah, it it was absolutely, I I will definitely uh, give a lot of the influence to the velvet nights and also give it to some time I spent working with some of the Disney, the Disneyland bands and Disney drum corps. Um, Their number one job was to entertain audiences that paid a lot of money to go to Disneyland for the day. And so I got to watch small ensembles perform, um, you know, in really intimate settings and got to watch the smiles on faces. And I said, that's, that's something I think we can do around the world. So what we, what we did with SoundSport was, was we created a system that could basically work almost anywhere. There, DCI relies solely on a U.S. football field. Um, in, uh, in Ireland, there aren't a lot of U.S. football fields. So you know, nope. GAA pitches in, in the UK, you might have a lot of soccer or football pitches in, um, in China, there, there's not a lot of open space in any field. So they're, they're kind of performing on basketball courts and outdoor sport courts. So, so what we had to do was to listen, you know, we can't just export DCI around the world and expect everyone to uh, adapt to that. We need to find something that's got commonality across the world. And that's where we tried to develop, you know, what we did with SoundSport was develop, um, Things that, that, that various cultures could pick up very quickly and uh, wouldn't require a lot of adapt, 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 adaptation. Soundsport, for, for anyone that, that, that has attended uh, DCI finals over the years, obviously that's a big day. Uh, uh, you know, the fi- finals day on the Saturday is, is such, a, such a big night. But, but tell me a little bit about what, what that day looks like actually at DCI finals, because it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a, great, a great event. Yeah, well, we, you know, again, going back to the the big football field, most sound sport teams are on the smaller side. So they're, you know, 25 to 50 performers and, you know, 25 performers on a big NFL style football field, they get lost. They get completely lost on that big stage. So the sound sport stage gives them a more intimate environment. It brings the audience much, much closer. Um, and it's more relaxed, you know, so um, it's, it's still very highly competitive and it's, it's, a, it's a great day from that standpoint. But um, we just a little bit more relaxed. We have an MC, Steve Rondonero is our MC every year. He's a famous uh, newscaster here in the States and DCI Hall of Famer and um, kind of our very, very well-known person within our activity. He's sort of the host of the day and he does a great job of explaining to the audience, uh, you know, what they're seeing and what they're about to see. And he does interviews with um, various members of the ensembles after they perform. Um, it just, uh, it, it makes it real fun. And, and then the audience, um, you know, we thought, what, what do audiences love? They love music and they love food. So we created the SoundSport International Music and Food Festival. So uh, between watching uh, SoundSport teams and drumline battles, you can go out and there are food trucks that are lined up and you can get any kind of food, you know, that you you desire. Um, So it's a great opportunity to sort of start your day on DCI Finals Championship Day. Uh, Grab yourself some food, watch some incredible performers from, you know, the USA and around the world. And then... uh, you know, get back to your hotel and get ready to go watch the final championship uh, performances that evening. So it's, it's grown every year. Um, and the number of performers, the number of, uh, 
you know, guest partners that we've had, food trucks, the audiences, you know, just continues to, we've had to double the size of the seating areas. Um, so yeah, it, it was really on pace this year for 2020 to, to exceed, you know, by double all of our previous years. Uh, and, and unfortunately we're, you know, history is, we'll look back on yeah. it. it didn't happen. Um, but what we're in the process of doing right now is just kind of keeping track of, of those ensembles and, you know, it's different everywhere of where, you know, based on geography, what they're able to do. Um, we're, we're going to focus 2021 on um, some, some virtual opportunities and uh, providing some virtual contests. And uh, there will be the opportunity for on, any ensemble that wants to participate in uh, the Sound Sport Festival in, in August of 2021. They'll be able to uh, put their their video submission in and, and we'll be able to include that in the festival, the virtual festival. Um, we'll also have the opportunity for anyone who wants to be part of the individual and ensemble competition. So if you're a, a trumpet player in Jakarta or you're a, a flute player in, uh, in, you know, Dublin, you can, uh, you can submit and be part of a world uh, music championship that way as an individual. So, you know, even if you're not part of an ensemble anymore or your ensemble is not participating, you you individually can still play, which is cool. great. We're just trying to get, you know, our 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 goal is to get more people around the world participating. Um, and if we can lower the entry level, the entry barriers to, to getting into the activity and keeping the cost low so they can keep playing. That's our that's what we set out to do. And um, because of the flexibility of the the type of event it is, I mean, it, it requires a smaller space, as you said. It's it's all age groups, it's all abilities, it's all styles. You can move a little bit, you can move a lot. Uh, it's really it, it, the sort of event that that can happen pretty much anywhere in the world. I mean, I know we had we had one at a castle here in Ireland and yeah. in a in a city park. Tell me about some of it, it, there's been sound sports sound sport of event events held. Uh, around the world um uh, since since its uh, inception tell me about some of the events that you've you've attended john and uh, and the type of uh the type of of events that they've been yeah um i i have been fortunate to you know in the last six years or so um I, i've probably been to 20 or 30 international events um they 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 range all, all around the board um in, in Indonesia, it's really fascinating to see the number of elementary school students that participate. Um, in Indonesia, they have entire elementary school bands that play um, the, the, the instrument called a melodica. Um, so it's that piano keyboard that you blow air through. I, I, I think it's called something else in other places, but I've heard it called a right. melodica. Melodica, yeah. I think people might be, might be familiar with the melodica men on yeah. social media. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was an interesting, that, that was very interesting to see that there was, you know, dozens of those types of ensembles there and that they're introducing kids, you know, young, young age kids to music by using that particular instrument, which is, you know, low cost, uh, easier for the kids to kind of master early and then let them develop into, you know, the instrument of their choice as they grow a little bit older and get more experience. Um, been to Japan where it's just incredible efficiency and variety and skill level uh, of performers from kindergarten to college is just mind boggling. They are um, just, just off the charts, how 
impressive, uh, you know, a Japanese marching event is. And if you get a chance, go online to see if you can find some of those. They are stunning. Um, then, then the event like in, in Limerick, which is, you know, the event that we did, uh, I think it was two summers ago now, um, is just one of those where we stood there and we looked around at all the people having such an incredible time. Uh, it, it was not at all about competition. It was just all about celebrating people getting together and getting out in the nice weather and, um, and putting on a, putting on a fun event. And, um, that ranks up there with, you know, in all the events I've done in the top five in, in my, the history of, you know, me being, me doing this, um, because it was a real realization of a dream. You know, that's, that's when we, when we pictured what this could be, you know, that was it. It was, can we bring people together and can we, um, you know, not only give the audience that, that came to see the bands, but that just people walking through the park that heard the music and were, you know, came over to check it out. And then they ended up sitting down and staying for an hour and a half, you know? Absolutely. So we, and you know what, John, I know I, like for, for, I don't, I don't want people to feel that, that, uh, that I've turned this podcast into an infomercial almost, but what I do want to say is that, um, you know, I've I've been advocating for sound sport for quite quite some time because here in Ireland, uh, we always struggle to get people to come to our our marching band events. You know, we've 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 got these big GAA fields, double the size of an American football pitch, uh, and we've got smaller bands, and so the bands look lost on these these football fields uh, a lot uh, a lot of the time. And so, what sound sport allows us to do is we pick a nice. Uh, public area where the audience is already going to be and we bring the bands to that and we can create a, a real sort of festive sort of atmosphere around this event and and it's as you said earlier on it's 360 degrees so people can sort of walk around the area the bands are watching each other um there's it it really suits us here in ireland and i'm, I'm you know when if it suits us here in ireland I'm sure it suits a lot of smaller towns, a lot of smaller uh, cities across the US and, and and Europe as well. So for anyone that's not aware of SoundSpot already, it's a, it, there's a great opportunity there to to um, to be involved in a in a drum corps international event by or, or organize a drum corps international event. You know the 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 flexibility of SoundSpot by design. We we created. Uh, an event structure that allowed that event to adapt to whatever locally, you know, whatever made it a success in Limerick. And what we did in Jakarta, it, it was the same event, but it didn't look anything like the one in Limerick. And it was, it was extremely successful in Jakarta on a different level, a different scale. Mm-hmm. Um, the one we've done in Bristol, UK uh, was, was very different. It was done in more like a, a gym, a gymnasium. Um, and it suited that particular venue very well. Um, it it, it kind of morphs and grows and it's, it, it, it can be as big or as little as it needs to be. It has the ability to sort of breathe um, and to, to fit the needs of the local event producer. Um, the, the, the one in Limerick was great because, you know, you had the Red Deer band from Canada had come over and they were very much a Western, you know, almost like a U.S. high school style halftime production. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had um, the kids from uh, Clara. Clara Town Band. Yeah, my old band. <laughs> who who were, you know, they were probably half the age of the kids from Canada and weren't as advanced yet on their musical instruments. But came out and, you know, with very far less resources than that Canadian group had, but put on a show that was appropriate for their age group, was 
highly entertaining. And, you know, when you, when you, when you, if you were to compare both of them together, if you were judging it on pure skill, yeah, the Canadians, you know, were, you could a judge could give an advantage to the, the Canadians on, on that level, but on just pure entertainment and the, and the, and the, the, the effort that the kids put out, at her, <laughs> Um, they won, you know, that, that's a win. And that's why it's important for um, event producers to kind of open up their mind to how many different types of variety ensembles can we get in? And, and maybe that Clara band wouldn't be competitive against the Canadian band. So put them in a different category. And if Clara is the only one that has, you know, kids playing on music stands, standing still, create a category just for them. You know, because mm-hmm. I've been to events where uh, they would have said to Clara, they would have said, you know what, you don't move and you play on, uh, you know, whatever you play on music stands. You can't be in this event. You're excluded. You're disqualified. And, I, and, I, and I, that why? Why would you do that? Just find a way. If those kids want right. to play and they want to perform in front of an audience, find a way to get them in your event. If it means having 16 categories, um, you know, it doesn't hurt to 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 create that, especially now. I mean, when we get back from this pandemic, uh, it's going to be more important than ever that we give and, performers a chance to get out and be heard. You know, like one of the one of the the real highlights of that day as well was the the fact that the Canadian band, the the Red Deer Royals, uh, were there sitting around the edge watching the kids from Clara cheering them on as well. There's something about the Soundsport format that encourages that sort of atmosphere of camaraderie around just celebrating performing band and movement and and music uh, and and it it is competitive and 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 it can be as competitive as the event organizer wants to make it but the idea of bands sitting around and watching i know that was a big part of what what you had 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 uh, talked yeah. to me about in the early days was that the bands should really be there watching each other cheering each other on you know, and and I think that was what made the day in Limerick uh, quite special. And those kids, you know, seven and eight year old cute kids wearing YMCA helmets and 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 being like, they the highlight of the day for them was this Canadian band of of teenagers to them, um, cheering them on. Well, that you know that was. That was absolutely one of the very first things when we designed the SoundSport program. We, we would watch events occur where they would have 20 bands in a day and the band would come on, they would perform and it would leave. And um, those performers never got to see any influence from any other band to see if what they were doing was on par or they were exceeding in certain areas or um, you know, just to, be, to have some appreciation of the other kids that were working just as hard as they are. So... I remember the first time we did this in um, Atlanta, Georgia. We had six, seven teams were performing in the sound sport category. And I told the first band when they were done, when they came off the field, I said, okay, now go sit in the seats. And they looked at me like I was crazy. (laughs) I said, no, you know, go in the seats and cheer on the next group. And then they did. And then the next group and then next, now we had three or four groups sitting there. By the time the last group performed, we had, you know, six other groups sitting there cheering, cheering them on. And it was a, a great atmosphere. Uh, and they all, they all said how good it felt to have other performers who kind of got the fact how hard they work, uh, yeah. and how much effort they'd put in to, to give back. Um, cause that's why we do it. And again, that goes back to my days to kind of bring everything full circle back to my velvet night days. 
the reaction you get from the audience is there's there's no amount of pay, there's no paycheck, there's no there's no reward better than uh, people telling you they love what you're doing. <laughs> um, and so if we can give that opportunity, it it might make a kid who starts in the Clara Town Band who has other things he may want to go join his hurling team or which I highly recommend anyone in Ireland to do. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big hurling fan, uh, full disclosure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he might, he or she might get interested in other things, but if they feel that what they felt there on that day in Limerick, then they might continue on and, and, and go the next year with their trumpet and continue to develop and, and, and play it their entire life. I, you, you can't play hurling your entire life, but you can play the clarinet or the trumpet or the piano your entire life. And that's what we want to try to instill is that mm-hmm. a lifelong love of making music and attending music events and supporting a local group. So, you know, if you did this when you're younger, and now you're at a point in your life where you've got a chance to give back, you know, go volunteer at a band, uh, support them with some finances or any kind of resources that you can, you can give back. Uh, if everyone listening to this podcast, you know, tomorrow went out and just did one thing for their local band um, and, and, and kind of like a pass it along, you know, like a pay it forward kind of system um, that could create an incredible groundswell around the world. And it all takes is just one person to start the chain reaction. And uh, we need that now more than ever before. So I highly encourage anybody, if you're sitting there right now and you're already involved, fantastic. And, you know, kudos to everybody who's currently involved. If you're one of those that's kind of been a few years since you've had any kind of, you know, activity, go ahead and help the local group or start one yourself. And you can go to soundsport.com. We've got a, a start a team page where there's some resources on how to start a small music ensemble where you are. And it does not have to, you know, be a Western style halftime show. You can, you know, do six, seven people playing holiday carols um, in the town square, you know, in front of the holiday tree or something. Um, Put a group together and get out there and play and obviously do it safely. And with COVID and everything, you know, take all the correct protocols. But, you know, as we continue to hopefully one day get back to normal, um, you know, start looking for ways that um, I'd love to. I I because I've been in business for so long, I really, ha- I'm not a music person. You know, I played the trumpet and mellophone and, uh, I, I, but I, I couldn't lead a band, but I do have a dream of starting one. So maybe right. I'll on more on the business side and find someone else who can focus on the music side. But we've got, a, I live in a community where I think that a local band would be phenomenal for the kids that live, you mm-hmm. know, and around where I'm at. Um, even if it's just like a, a little drum class or something, just something to get younger kids, um, away from the Xbox for you know a few minutes and, and get them out in the fresh air and um, collaborating and being on a team with other kids. Um, so that's what I, well, hopefully I can do. I know John from, from having, from having uh, had you attend and, and take uh, in some, some classes uh, for the different bands that I work with, um, you know, you, you have an instructional uh, mind uh, and and the kids uh, have always loved working with you, so I'm excited to see this 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 band in Florida someday because I know they're going to, they I know they're going to love working with you. Um, uh, so if if it if it if it wasn't already clear, uh, we like Soundsport here on this podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and and if as as John already put it, if you want to find out more about Soundsport, go to the website, go to the Facebook page, um, find out a little bit more, and see how you can get involved. Be it forming a team or setting up an event, or uh, it's 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 um, 
it's a fantastic uh, platform. Um, something that comes along with SoundSport sometimes is uh, drum ba- drumline battle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's sort of the flip side of it sometimes. Um, where there's a SoundSport of event, it's often a cover. It's often accompanied by um, by a drumline battle. Um, and and you were inspired by drumline battle when you on your travels actually. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about what drumline battle is. Yeah, we're not so familiar with the format of it here in in Europe. Yeah. So so the, the, the again going back to that that pivotal, you know, pivotal trip to Thailand, I, I had come up with kind of the spark for sound sport in my brain on the flight home, but, but also I witnessed, um, what they were doing over there and a thing was called drum battle. And it was in essence, what they did was there was a movie that came out maybe 10, 12 years ago called drumline. And it was a movie that depicted a college Southern drumline in, in the U S that, um, the, the big scene at the end of the movie was the college drum line met at the 50 yard line on the football field and, 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 and played a drum off against the opposing team's, uh, band. And, uh, it was in front of this enormous crowd and, and, and it was all about, uh, you know, style and, and, and one upping the other side. It was like a boxing match with musical instruments, you know, so it had some drama, it had some excitement. You, you could, as an audience member, you could easily kind of determine an outcome. You could say, oh my gosh, they just slayed the other side when they played that, you know, particular, you know, drum rudiment. And then they took their sticks and, you know, they pointed them at the other side or they, they did something visual that was, you know, some something unique and spectacular. So, so what happened was in Thailand, they saw the movie and they copied the concept and they were doing this over there uh, as a regular competitive feature of their events. So when I saw it, I was like, Oh, this is really, really cool. And they were doing it out in front of a shopping mall uh, on a plaza. And again, going back to crowds and entertainment and showing more people this, this crazy thing we do. Uh, it drew a big audience and most of the people there were not marching band fans, at least not when they showed up by the time they left. I think they were because they got to see this, this really fun, um, you know, yes, it was serious, but also really entertainment was a big portion of what was driving the competitive side. It was, it was competition to see who could be more entertaining. And so I came back and we combined sound sport and drumline battle under one program at DCI. And, you know, we've had, now drumline battles in some pretty incredible venues uh, because it's extremely flexible. You can do them. Um, you know, we've done them on top of a hundred story skyscraper in Taipei, Taiwan. We did one at halftime at Crow Park for the Dublin Mayo semifinal a few years ago. Uh, I think there was 82,000 people there that day. It was mm-hmm. madness. Uh, where <laughs> what we did was we staged a battle between the Dublin team and the Mayo team and had the audience there uh, kind of vote by applause. Uh, and it was just, it was an incredible moment to see that many people getting into uh, to, to drumming. We've done it um, at the Calgary Stampede Festival. We've done it on a battleship in Norfolk, Virginia. We did it on the deck of a, you know, like a, of a battleship, which was pretty, pretty incredible to see that, that visual. Um, we've been on TV shows, we've been in movies, we've, you know, we've taken the concept and, um, been able to, um, you know, stage it in places that, that you would normally wouldn't be able to get a band event. Um, Another right. Irish connection was one. Of the, I think pro, still to this day one of the, if not the coolest 
I think the top two that I've seen was was the the battle in Crow Park, and the we did a battle in at Athlone Castle, in the car park right up against the castle, and it was um, a dream of mine to see a, a traditional drumline battle against a team of Irish dancers. So the drummers drummed on drums, but the Irish dancers, they, they used their feet to create percussive rhythms. So they were, they, they, they came very prepared, the Irish dancers, and they mm-hmm. set down um, like a wood, a wood floor. And then they had a, a different piece of wood to create. So when they danced on the small piece of wood, it made an, a different sound. And then they put a piece of metal down and they would use that like a hi-hat cymbal. So they were basically with their feet creating the sounds of a drum set and um, just a, a phenomenal night. It was, it was one of the coolest things. I, I think there's some video of it out there somewhere, uh, but it, it just demonstrated that, you know, we can completely transcend just drum, drum corps and marching band. We can combine different elements and, and bring things in like Irish dance, you know, cross-cultural, um, you know, initiatives and, it, it was just such a such a fun night, and I hope we can do that one again because that was uh, definitely a standout moment. Well, let me finish with this, John. There's a lot more money in other industries than the band industry. Uh, yeah. What has kept you so connected with the band world over the years? And I, I've I've known you long enough to to to, to see your to see some of your highs and lows as well during that time. I know it's not all roses, no. you know, uh, like, like any of us, we've all considered, you know, what's on the, what's on the other, in, uh, in the other field. Sure. Um, but you're still here and you're still loving it. And you can even t- tell just from this, this, this recording tonight, like how much you, you really, really love this activity. What's kept you? I, I think that it, it is the, it's a hard question. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that I wake up every day and I like to, much like I liked to hear that applause um, from that audience back when I was a kid. Um, my applause now is, is doing a good job. It's uh, setting a goal and reaching it. It's connecting two people together that needed to be connected together. They didn't know each other, but the connection created a synergy that now, you know, lifts both of them up uh, because, you know, it's just, just to watch those, those relationships occur because I was able to help bring them together um, or collaboration and putting together a project. I just like, I just, I love being creative and I love seeing things um, happen. I mean, it's so much fun to create. Um, there's too many people in this world that like to tear down um, and, and there's a lot of people really good at it. Uh, and we all have them in our, you know, immediate, you know, whether you're in a school, a town band, you have a kid that plays third trumpet and he's a pain in the rear. There's a lot of people that want to tear us down, but there's a far more people that want to lift us up. And, and, and that's what keeps me going, I think, is that, you know, there's just this sense of a satisfaction um, that I get. And it's familiar, it's comfortable. And, it's, you know, I get to be around something that I that I loved doing, uh, you know, when I was a kid. Like I, I get to do, you know, I watch these videos back in the early eighties on VHS cassette and I get to, I'm that now, you know, like I, I, I sometimes forget, I'm like, wow, I get to, I get to work in that thing that I, I went home every day after school and for hours we watched these tapes and now I get to do that. Mm-hmm. John, thank you so much. Happy new year to you and best of luck with, with everything over the, the, the coming, coming months. 
thanks so much. I appreciate it. Appreciate all your, uh, all your support and all your, uh, your passion for the activity. Thanks, John. And there you have it. That is our first show for 2021. Thank you so much to John for being my first guest of the year. You can find out more about John and his work with Soundsport, Drumline Battle, DCI over on our show notes over at globalbandroom.com and you'll find out all, all the information about the podcasts and the documentaries over there too. So I'll be back next week. Uh, I'll be talking to more great guests uh, from around the band world. Um, but if you'd like to stay in contact with us uh, between now and then, again, you can go over to the website. Again, it's globalbandroom.com or head over to Facebook where we have a very uh, vibrant community of people in the Global Band Room uh, group, Facebook group. There is a page uh, a Facebook page, but there's also the group where you can share your ideas, notes, and uh, any any uh, questions that you have over there. And uh, we are also very busy on Instagram as well. So wherever you're going, it's Global Band Room. Uh, that's, that's where you're going to find out all of the information about what we're doing. So until next week, stay safe, and I'll see you back in the band room. <laughs>